Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 1985 film St. Elmo's Fire concerns the challenges faced by some recent college graduates, many of whom are played by the proverbial brat pack of The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles. And actually, I don't think anyone from 16 Candles is in this now that I think about it. But uh, joining us today to talk about uh, some of some of the themes addressed in the film as it relates to mental health is Ron Blake, um, suicide prevention speaker and mental health advocate. Uh, Ron, thank you for being here today. I, I appreciate it. You're welcome, and thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you. Now, I, I do want to mention a couple resources up front. Now, there is a crisis text line available in the U.S. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. Again, that's 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to eight five two five eight again in the UK shout S H O U T to eight five two five eight uh, Ron thank you for being here today I appreciate it yeah and I'm glad to be here hopefully now, we can share some uh, some good stuff uh, to share with your listeners and yeah and then hopefully we can learn from each other. Um, I'm excited. Definitely, definitely. Now, one thing that I, I'm really happy to have you on is because, and I think we were talking about this, you know, prior to uh, to recording today, is that since starting the, this podcast, uh, I, I think I told you this when we were talking um, offline, I've encountered, I don't want to say brick wall after brick wall, but it has certainly felt like brick wall after brick wall and people canceling me and saying not so nice things about me, which, you know, I'm not going to dignify a lot of those not so nice things because they're not, not true. And I'm not going to lend any negative energy to that, but you know what I mean? There, there's just so much negativity in what should be a mental health, you know, dare I say the word community, and it doesn't seem like there's a like in like in this film, the you know the the, the Brad Pack kids, even though they have their differences throughout, the, and there are differences, you know, no no doubt about that. At the end of the day, they all have each other's backs. And one one of the not so nice things I, I've encountered is that that's not the case with a lot of mental health stuff. You know, and that's that's been hard for me to to um, to, to to digest and process. I guess does does that make sense? It does, yeah. And um, <laughs> hopefully, you don't throw your um, VHS recorder at me. I'm going to go old school. <laughs> but all right, I'm going to bring up another movie, and then we'll get back to uh, Salem yeah. with Fire. But just something you said right there. Um, it made me think of the movie Footloose <laughs> with um, Kevin Bacon because. Um, he was an outsider and there are a lot of movies out there where the outsider comes in and he immediately meets all this resistance. Um, but the outsiders, and I gave an interview with a reporter a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe a couple months ago, but they asked me like, you know, like, what are you proud of? And I said, because I'm an outsider and we're the ones that scare everybody, mm -hmm. but we're also the ones like Kevin Bacon in the movie Footloose where you change it all. 
You know, you you fight the quote unquote bad guys, um, you know, but you, you change it all. And, and, and in this sense, sometimes the quote unquote bad guys are are people that don't want to let maybe like you in or me in because we are outsiders. We're not maybe this big organization. And so we're not given as much credibility sometimes. Um but we're just as credible as everybody else. And, and, and so I've realized on this journey that I've been on, not just to take back my life from PTSD and depression, but I'm meeting all these people, tens of thousands of them. And I have their stories that I can tell. And just because, because I haven't been in the, you know, like in, in, if you will, I haven't been this person that's been in that town, like Kevin Bacon would always say in, in Footloose, <laughs> Just because I haven't lived in this town my whole life doesn't mean that I'm a bad guy. Like, listen to what I have to say. I have some contribution. And I feel like sometimes the greatest contributions we can get in mental health care in this, in this world are going to come from the outsiders like us because we are bringing a different perspective. We don't have a board of directors that we have to answer to. We're just speaking from the heart. We're, being, we're just being us. And, and I think there's a beauty to the authenticity that we can bring. Definitely. And and you had mentioned that the board of directors, and that's one of the things that I have a hard time with. There are different mental health organizations that are, they're essentially run like corporations. They have a CEO, they have a board of directors, they have those board of directors meet once a month or once a quarter to, to basically do what they're going to do. And many of them require an act of Congress, whether that's an actual act of Congress or whether the, the figure of speech act of Congress to get anything done. And many of these same groups turn around and say, oh, well, we're a grassroots organization. And I, and I hear that and I just say to myself, really? Really, that, that's grassroots? Okay. A, a CEO and a board director, that's grassroots, really? What, what, am, what am I missing? So yeah, I, I definitely hear you on, on the outsider um thing you know and no i'm not going to throw my vcr to you at all uh because uh a uh cinema's fire fits in with with footloose as far as uh, you know quintessential 80s movie and uh secondly there's an, an another guest who's probably gonna be airing at this probably the same week make it an 80s week <laughs> who's talking about 80s movies so this is actually going to fit in really nicely so if you want to freeform any movie references i'm i'm totally cool with that this yeah, <laughs> on this journey, especially um, when I go, like when I speak to audiences, a lot of times I'll reference movies because it's it's something we can all connect to. Exactly. Yeah. It's an art form that we're like, oh my gosh, yes. And then if I speak to a younger audience, I'm <laughs> like, I'm really shocked that movies like Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich, the younger generation, has no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, but I have to understand that if I'm talking to a 20 year old college student, I mean, they were born when I think Aaron Brockovich came out. And, mm -hmm. I mean, they weren't even thought about, I mean, pretty woman was 10 years even before that. So, but, but nonetheless, it gets them running uh, so they can check what I'm talking about mm -hmm. and they can connect. I think that is uh, movies are incredible um, because they are something that they, they, they'll bring the stories alive. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love, I, I, I do it often uh, quoting movies. Yeah, definitely. And, and you took the words right out of my mouth because that's one of the reasons why this podcast is set up the way it is, because if it were just depression only or bipolar only, or, or you know, fill in the blank only, 
the interest level wouldn't be, it just wouldn't. I know if there's, you know, maybe a college student, if there's a psychologist or a counselor, you know, they may be dispositioned to listen to it or someone, you know, going through um, a rough time. But generally, barring that, we live in society where, you know, for better or worse, there seems to be a want of entertainment, a want of, like that Nirvana song, you know, here we are now at entertain us. And, and, and mental health is no different. It's if it, if there's not some hook, if there's not something to like pull you in, it seems like the interest level's not there more so when a lot of the messaging is being defined by these large, you know, essentially corporations that are, are putting forth. So, so I'm, I'm happy that, that you mentioned that because that, that fits in with what I'm you know, trying to accomplish with, with the, the podcast. Um, now, what, what sets you on your, you know, on, on your journey into the, you know, wild and wonderful world of, uh, you know, mental health? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with the trauma. I, I guess you have to start with the bad. I know people hate that, but um, I, otherwise I wouldn't be on a journey for, for good. Um, but there was a night, um, gosh, almost nine years ago, I was in my home sleeping seventh floor loft in downtown Phoenix. Three men came in. I was held down. I was raped and they almost killed me. Um, the details are just, they're horrific. And, um, so I struggled a long time, a long time after that, because I was being gaslit after that. Um, it was horrible for me. And I was, uh, eventually I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, so I'm skipping over a lot here, um, because I don't want to get into all the, all the details of everything that I struggle with, but trust me, there were, there were incredibly dark moments for me throughout a couple of years. But finally on, um, November 2nd of 2015, I woke up from what I said was yet another nightmare. Um, I, I had struggled for so long. And when I woke up on that particular night, that was it. I, I just, I couldn't tell the difference between my reality, uh, my nightmares and reality. So it was, if anybody can understand that, and I'll, I'll say that one more time. So if somebody, cause I think it's important to, to share that I couldn't determine the difference between my nightmares and reality at that point, you're in incredible pain. And I just said, I gotta, I gotta stop it tonight. I can't do this anymore. And I got all my pills out. And for some reason that night I looked up and the television was on, it should have gone off. I always set my timer would fall asleep. But when I woke up, I looked over at the TV and there was this show on, it was called the late show with Stephen Colbert. It's a late night comedy show. And I had the pills on my lap, my water bottle I was holding. And for some reason, I glanced over at the TV and thought, huh, that should have gone off. But as I was looking at the television, something made me laugh. And it paused and it just, um, I just remember, I thought, there's still something good coming out of me. And that was the moment. That was the aha moment. That was the moment, the light bulb moment. I said, uh, I paused the show. And I told myself, I'm going to get on this show someday. I'm going to tell my story. I'm not going to go yet. But I felt this surge of, it's really even hard to this day. I've had so many like, times I've shared this story, but it's, it's even hard to describe, except it was like this surge of energy that went through me. And I felt hope for the first time in forever. And I slept well that night. 
Um, I didn't know how I'd get on the show, but I felt like it was either the universe or a higher power that put that moment in front of me. And that's what stopped me. And it truly, a, a lot of reporters that have interviewed me have always asked, and even audience members when I speak, will always ask, what was the joke that made me laugh that night? Mm -hmm. And I guess this still shocks people to this day. <laughs> I don't know. And people said, how could you not know the joke that saved your life? And I said, easy, because it wasn't about the joke. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what was coming into me. It was, I felt there was something still good coming out of me. And I just, I recognized that I laughed. It wasn't the joke. And that was the most powerful part I want to leave with people is that there's, there's, there's always something good left in you and you just have to find it. And for me, that's how it began. So that's, that's it, Ryan. That's how it all started. I began this journey going across the country and I, I can tell your listeners and you, like, I have never thought it was going to take six years of your life and 50, almost 15,000 hours of effort to get on a TV show for Therein lies the incredible, the incredible odyssey, the journey. Um, and I maybe we'll dive into some parts of that because this really, this journey hasn't been about me. It's been <laughs> like all the tens of thousands of people I've met and everybody, wow. Hopefully we'll be able to share a lot of those cool moments. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, now that you mentioned that, I don't think that's unusual at all as far as not remembering the, the, the joke because it's about, that, that that moment that moment where you're, you're you're brought into it's almost like asking someone okay well you, if you're rescued on a on, on a boat at sea do you remember if the what 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 the lifeguard was wearing you know no you probably don't remember what the lifeguard was wearing because the lifeguard's got the, the little safety vest on and you might remember maybe the colors they would likely have um and, and I, no sooner did i say that then it probably sounded a little um cynical maybe so that, that certainly was not my intention so as soon as i said that it's like oh no that didn't um you gave me, you gave me another movie moment um yeah. remember the movie castaway with tom Hanks? yeah 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 he's rescued on that life well whatever you want to call it his makeshift uh life. Yeah. and you're right he might not remember well i know it's just a character but nonetheless like if somebody in that situation they may not remember any aspect of that. They actually, they might, they might have to be told they were rescued because he might've been hallucinating. Uh, you're right. So there are, there are things that sometimes we take for granted, like, oh, well, this person's going to remember X, Y, and Z. Not necessarily. You know, yeah, exactly. how our brains work. Yeah. So do you think that is, and now that you mentioned that, do you think that is true to a large extent that with PTSD, a lot of, a lot of the memory works, but it works remembering stuff that either you don't want to remember or you're not able to forget stuff you want to forget and just kind of being just totally topsy-turvy, if that makes sense? Um, to be honest with you, and I can't go too deep into this because um, there's something else going, hopefully you'll have me back on maybe in six months. There's mm -hmm. something big going on under the surface of, of that's about all I can tell you. <laughs> okay, no, no worries. But, but, but there is, um, there are a couple of things, uh, pieces of correspondence I came across that shocked me. And I, they were, that's about all I can say is correspondence. It ties into my rape case. And as I read these, oh my gosh, like part of me just thought this, this really happened. And it's, it, 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 it jolts you, but there's so much like even in my life to this day, 
after that trauma, and, and one of the three people involved in my trauma was my domestic partner of almost a decade. Um, the person that I, huh, that I loved the most, mm-hmm. that he was involved that night, didn't matter that he was drunk, but some of this correspondence is stuff that came from him or about him and me. And when I read it, you, your brain, huh, I just, I sort of laugh like that because it's just, I'm even in disbelief, disbelief as I'm telling you this, but your brain starts shutting down. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to process. It's hard to process trauma. It really is. And, and some of the therapists that had worked with me called it this is this dissociative amnesia, which means you have trouble remembering it's in your brain, but it's scattered about. And the way they use uh, the, like the example they use to me is a mirror is broken and the pieces are all inside my brain. It's just, you have to reassemble them. And that's, what's happening. Even to this day, almost a decade later, I'm starting to put together pieces. Um, and, and, and again, someday people will find out why I'm assembling all this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's what I, I guess that's what I was getting at. So th- thank you for answering that. Um, that's a, as far as like the, the, the way memory works and with, trauma and whatnot and and do you remember that talking head song uh, a few years ago where the, there was a the, that verse in, in, in the song about you know you you may find yourself with uh you know that you know and you may ask yourself well how did i get there you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and i remember hearing that song when i was little and it didn't make any sense and then i got older you know having been through some of the stuff i've been through and it's like hearing david burns sing about that stuff you know oh how did i get there it's like yeah i i have those moments from time to time where I wake up and I, I quite literally don't know how I got here. Some yeah, and, days. It, and it seems so interesting too that, um, well, I mean, when we talk to scientists, yeah. so many, like right now, uh, NASA, they have that, whatever it's called, Perseverance. It's that mm-hmm. little rover thing that's on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And we focus a lot on that. Let's get to Mars. You know, Elon Musk is trying to get us to mm-hmm. space hotels in the next 10 years. I think he's trying to get us to Mars too and colonize it. But we also look to the oceans. I mean, two thirds of our world here is is water, like oceans. And and I mean, some of them, Marianas trenches go almost seven miles deep. Yeah. So there's a lot to explore just our Earth with the oceans and with space. But we often forget about like one of the biggest, vast, unknown places to explore. It's in our cabeza, our heads. Yeah. And, and 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 you know, it's just it it, it is finite, but the possibilities within our head are infinite. And I think that's one of the places sometimes that we miss. We're like, oh, we need to be pioneers and go explore like yeah. Lewis Clark. But we're also forgetting that we're going to, it's going to take a long time to figure out what goes on in our heads. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, like, how did I get here? How did we get here? You know, you start yeah. asking yourself, like, if you've been through a trauma, are you, you know, there's so much, even the good moments, you know, it's yeah. like, why does your brain work in the ways it works? But, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool too, but there's going to be a lot of exploration going mm-hmm. on with mental health mm-hmm. um, and just inside our heads for, for many, many years. Oh, absolutely. Now, one of the, one of the, the um, interesting things about St. Elmo's Fire is that, and obviously it is an 80s movie, so, you, you know, <laughs> take it for what it's worth, you know, as far as a lot of the 80s stuff in the movie. But the, the film points to the larger issue of having, uh, you know, societal expectation 
of of people and that's very clear in the film whether it's the you know the, the Judd Nelson character you know getting the job in the political office or with the um his roommate, I think it was his roommate, you know, being the news writer and whatnot, and and the Demi Moore character, obviously, with her and 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 the money thing and the family thing, and it seems like there's been a lot of a lot of the conversation in mental health seems to be lately pushing back against, like you said, a lot of the you know the pull yourself up by the bootstrap BS and and different messages that society sends, which are complete garbage and have you found that to, to be the case where there's been a lot of pushback against you know messaging from you know outside uh, like the wrong kind of messaging yeah ab yeah absolutely there can be people that that like you said they're like all right you know let's let's move on you know that happened many years ago you know deal with it and like figure out a way to move on um that's dangerous i mean i grew up in a i was born in gary indiana mm -hmm. um the south tip of Lake Michigan, just outside of Chicago, very, uh, very blue collar community, um, hardworking. And I'm always proud of where I, I've come from. I always will be proud of that. But that one of the dangers, not just in my blue collar community, but really throughout society is um, this toxic masculinity where you're told, like, especially as a boy, uh, even as a man, as you grow up, you're told, all right, something bad happened to you. You're right. Like, deal with it. Come on, man. You got to be tough. And I've even seen, uh, <laughs> I won't mention any names, but uh, some of my buddies who were in politics <laughs> back in um, South Chicago area, they've said on Facebook before when one of our buddies went through a really difficult time and they said, you know, you got to buck up and you got to be a man and come on, you can do this. And it's just the wrong message to send. I get it. They're trying to be helpful. Their intent is amazing. They want to be helpful. But when you tell somebody like that in the way they did, that's that's what some of the folks used to tell me after the rape. When I started talking about it, you've got to deal with it. Like, you know, it's not, it doesn't make me a, a sissy. It doesn't make me less than a man. I've got to talk about what happened to me, man. You know, it's like, and I'm still to this day going through physical therapy from what these guys did to me. The PTSD therapy will, to some level, go on the rest of my life. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, we've got to, so yes, yeah, some of that messaging, it comes from, it, it, it's even coming from some of my buddies, yeah. like even here in Arizona, in Chicago area, all over. And we've got to, you really do have to change that. It doesn't mean I hate these people. I'm going to have a civil conversation with them and say, hey, guys, you know, there's a better way to deal with this. You know, if, if, if I had cancer, everybody would tell me to get chemotherapy and radiation. But yet I'm struggling through a mental illness, PTSD and depression, and I'm told to just deal with it. I mean, I don't tell the people with stage four cancer just to deal with it and move on. They're going to get their chemotherapy to help yeah. them. So we got to start, we got to start treating the illness and you don't treat it by just telling somebody to move on. Yeah, absolutely. That's dangerous messaging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, um, you had mentioned Arizona and Arizona where we're recording this, um, I've had a, just a very interesting experience in that many of the individuals who I've come across, such as yourself, there's different counselors who I've reached out to who uh, may, may be on, on future episodes of the show, are some of the coolest people who, who I've talked with. And, and yet, <laughs> when it's in the context of an organization, it's, it's like being my head against a wall. 
because you've got you've got the awesome people like you and there's like there's like one level of engagement one level of really being plugged in with recovery and, and mental illness and 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 being part of the solution <laughs> and then there's that other piece of it of being of being the, the the status quo as it were if that makes sense and that has been a relatively frustrating experience for me because logic would dictate that on an organizational basis that those organizations should be able to move at a relatively efficient pace and yet when it's the individuals that's when that efficiency and productivity and 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 proper messaging like you said that's where it's coming from it's at the individual level not at the organizational level and do you, do you know do you know why that is did you have you encountered the, the same thing in, in, in you your work you're saying the, that the organizations are allowing can you like clarify that a little bit more yeah that they're that they're almost going at a very at a, at a snail at a, at a snail's pace just going like like oh, molasses okay. well corporations and organizations <laughs> they they will move at a snail's pace because i found out on this journey i'm on i scare a lot of people mm -hmm. because what I'm, what I'm doing to me it doesn't seem out of the ordinary but it's very out of the ordinary mm -hmm. i mean to have a human being going up to tens of thousands of strangers one by one and yeah. trying to get on a TV show for six, you know, every, yeah. that's what I'm doing scares people and, and society, just people in general are conservative. Mm -hmm. and, and if you do, I, I, I'm just going to share something really quick. I was, when I was coming home today, I was listening to NPR radio and they had a guy from my, my Hoosier state, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. um, uh -huh. he, he's the mayor of Carmel, Indiana. They have more. Now this is going to deal with, it's going to sound like it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Um, it, they have roundabouts instead of traffic lights. Carmel, Indiana has more roundabouts than any city in America and they work. They're very effective. And the guy on NPR radio asked mayor Brainerd in Carmel. He said, then why are more, more cities doing this? They actually save on traffic fatality. He, he listed all these amazing benefits of roundabouts. And the mayor of Carmel said, because people and cities and organizations are extremely conservative. Yeah. And he said, it's uh, scary for them because yeah. they, they've been used to something the same way. So I only brought up that example because it just literally happened a couple hours ago in my life that I heard this mayor saying that. But yet you're telling these people like how amazing it could help their communities and help save lives. And yet people aren't willing to do it because yeah. they're conservative. And so yeah. it's the same way with mental health care organizations. You know, I was kicked out of, oh, it was three, four, maybe five years ago. There were a spate of suicides in the East Valley here in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And I called ahead of time and said, you guys. Oh, and just, and if I could just interrupt and to, to keep everything um, kosher, um, no na names mentioned, correct? And just, it would be A, B, C, D or you yeah. know, different. Um, Cause I want to be careful not to, cause once they, once they hit upload, this will be up forever on the internet so i just want to be okay. careful okay. to um so so a organization or, or b organization in other words yeah and i'll just leave it very nebulous it, it was there was just a, an organization that was on tv and said hey we've got all these suicides happening at high schools we need help it was really like we need all hands on deck you know if anybody wants to show up if you have ideas of how we can help these kids help these families so i called and said hey I have this project I'm doing. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's how it all started with a moment of laughter. I had a suicidal night 
people said that this organization will bring it. So I showed up at this big church like four or five years ago and I was surrounded immediately. Um, They said, what are you doing? It was like all the worker bees, (laughs) queen bee. And, but yet I was, they were almost like wanting to cut my head off. And I was like, no, no, I'm not here to hurt. I'm here to help. And, and I was not met. I was like persona non grata, not like I was, I was persona non grata. They said, you can stay, your project can't. And I said, but this project is, it's, it's part of me. Like this is helping me get through every day, not to, to, to move towards suicide. And I said, no, if this project goes and these giant boards I have go, then I go because I said, but, but because I was so different and because they hadn't quote unquote vetted me, they didn't want me there. And they said, no, we're, we're very welcoming. We just, we, we don't know enough about what you're doing. And I thought, but you also on television said that you don't have the answers and you're looking for all different perspectives. You know, it's, it, it is amazing to me sometimes because just because I haven't lived in this damn town, you know, like Kevin Bacon, just yeah. because I lived in this darn town, meaning just because I haven't been in your organization for 25 years doesn't mean I don't have a darn good idea. And they said, well, is it evidence-based? No, <laughs> but you know, and you just, you get bogged down and, and you know, oh my gosh. And, you just- and, and one thing, and the one thing, and I want to clarify when I hear evidence-based, Nine times out of 10, when I hear that term evidence-based, it's being uttered by people who did not wear a mask and are not wearing a mask for going on what, over a year now. Those people who did not wear a mask, who many of them caught COVID, many of them are at risk of catching COVID. And those are the people who are bantering about evidence-based. So it's almost a, very much a contradiction when people say that because yes, if we're going to be evidence-based, then you're not just evidence-based for mental health only and mental illness only, but all areas of life, particularly as ubiquitous, did I say the word correctly, ubiquitously, um, as COVID-19? Because if someone thinks and Dr. Fauci is, you know, a paid actor that it's all, you know, you know, what, some conspiracy that you have. And yet then you turn around and you want to talk about evidence-based for mental illness. That's kind of flip-flopping. It's like waffling on the highest order. So when people talk about evidence-based, I always look at who's, who's saying that. You know what I mean? Because it, it, there should be science-based on all levels. And that's what will inform that that's science as it pertains to mental. You know what I mean? It's, it seems like a lot of people are like picking and choosing what, what evidence-based approach they want. You know what I mean? It's like they, they, they want to like have a loophole for all the other stuff, but then it comes to mental illness. Oh, by the way, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to trust the science on this, but. And none of us want to just, I mean, None of us want to admit we're wrong. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. Human beings, we tend to be incredibly conservative. And the other yeah. thing is none of us want to admit when we're wrong or we made yeah. a mistake. But I, I I, actually get told a lot. People said, don't call myself ignorant. I'll call people up on the phone. I'll do Zoom calls. And I'll yeah. say, well, I'm ignorant about X, Y, and Z. Can you clarify? And yeah. people oh, please. They, you know, they said, if you get on shows like on CNN or some major cable news stations, don't call yourself ignorant. Why? Like if I'm ignorant, <laughs> you can't go any lower than that. I, I'm gonna look 
look at you and you're going to say, okay, this guy needs me to, to inform him and educate him. Good. I mean, at that point, I'm not groveling. I'm, you know, and some people said, well, there, there's a, anyway, so I have no problems. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Well, it, well, if anything, that's also an integrity issue. If, if you're mature enough and professional enough to admit that you need more information, that's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, yeah, that's... And, <laughs> and, and, and Brian, like, um, I had shared this with you off, off the air, um, yeah. but there was, um, if anybody ever sees the TEDx talk I gave, um, uh, the, <laughs> I talk about this psychiatrist that... After about 90 days of doing my project, meeting strangers, mm -hmm. uh, just walking up to them, they engaged me, they wrote their stories in these giant boards. And, you know, it was all helping me get toward, you know, becoming a guest on the late show. And mm -hmm. so when I, one of my doctors, she said, have you gone to your psychiatrist in a while to share with him that you're doing this? And I said, no. And she said, could you please just go to him and share with him and see what his thoughts are? Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So I went to him, I showed it to him. He looked at these giant boards with all these thousands. Oh, I brought like six of them in. So there were hundreds and hundreds of messages and all these languages. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I explained to him why the late show was important, why I'm meeting people, like why it, that, that interaction with people was helping me not isolate from my PTSD anymore. I wouldn't stay in my home. I, I had this, um, I had a purpose in life and it, it was helping me. It was helping other people. And the psychiatrist looked at me and he said, he talked to me like a kid. He said, you know, Blake, guys like me and you, we don't get on TV shows like this. And he paused for dramatic effect. I mean, I think this guy could have been an actor. <laughs> mm -hmm. He paused for dramatic effect. And I looked at him and said, no, I don't know that. And he said, well, you don't. And he wanted to medicate me because he found me delusional. Mm. He found me delusional because I didn't conform to his evidence-based policies. He had seen for 25 years clients. He medicated them. And I told this audience in the TEDx talk I gave, could you imagine 20 years ago if the people around Steve Jobs would have medicated him? Because to be honest, I've heard a lot of people tell stories. They said Steve Jobs had some really out of this world ideas. They were a little bit too much for people, but people like Steve Jobs. Had we medicated those kind of folks, where would we be in our society? Like, yeah, where? absolutely. And so you need those dreamers. You need those people that think outside the box. And, and just because my idea of how to get better from PTSD didn't conform to the evidence-based policies of this psychiatrist doesn't mean that what I was doing was bad. He didn't take any time to learn about what I was doing. And there was nothing destructive about what I was doing. And to this day, to this day, Brian, I'm still going on this journey. So he's been right about one thing. I haven't yeah. got on the show. <laughs> But he's been wrong about another one for five years and a half. I have survived PTSD. I have not taken my life by suicide. And I found a way to keep going. And so many amazing things. And it's, it's impacted so many other survivors of PTSD and trauma. So, um, but I didn't have to mention his name. I didn't think, <laughs> it, but I thought I needed to mention what he did to me because there are other people out there. If he's doing that to me, there are colleagues of his doing that to other people. And he, he is, it's, it's, it, people needed to be aware of that. And so if somebody runs into a situation where something's working for you, you don't need a bunch of letters behind your name to know what works for you. You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and on that point also, if there's something that's just not, not adding up, get a second opinion. I mean, that's um, yeah. so absolutely. So, so absolutely all of what you're saying, absolutely. Um, 100%. 
um, in agreement on as far as just their creativity and thinking big. And, um, and you've heard that before about thinking big and not, um, you know, the, the, the baby steps and, and alternating the baby steps with the, with the huge steps. You know what I mean? Because if it's all baby steps only, which is fine, but then you, the, the big steps and thinking big, um, that's, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, totally on board I mean, with that. organizations, companies, for the most part, they're going to take baby steps. Um, yeah. the, the one, a friend of mine, Doreen, um, she's with the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence. She's not going to mention me. Uh, she's not going to be angry with me giving a shout out to her because she's been truly amazing in, in helping me in my recovery. But Doreen always has told me, and she tells everybody this, you know, change is like moving the Titanic. It's, it's, you have to do it slowly. And it's such a big ship, you know, and it yeah, takes yeah. a while to turn that thing. And, and I get in disagreements with Doreen because I, I want to guys. <laughs> well, the disagreement is I feel like we can move that Titanic quicker. And yeah. she looks at me and she says, she's got a few years on me, a few, um, the maturity, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she's a wise woman and I get it when she tells me, you know, you just got to be patient, but there are days when I run out of patience, you know, I've waited 10 yeah. years for almost 10 years for justice. I've, I've been through a lot of therapy, um, but that I got, I got to understand what, what she's saying is that these big organizations that deal with mental health care, it's going to take them a while. They have to talk to the board of directors. So yeah. there are people in those organizations that they have, incredibly good intentions it's just they can get bogged down with the bureaucracy mm -hmm. the minutiae and it, it takes it takes fellas like me and you and some yeah. other outsiders yeah. like us so so here's my shout out to all the outsiders listening to your show today keep doing what you're doing keep being that outsider keep being that disruptor because we need people like that to help these organizations see that you know sometimes it doesn't take forever to make a turn or a change we can do it quicker, you know, and, and, and um, so to everybody out there, keep disrupting. That's how we're going to, you know, we're going to change things. Oh, ab absolutely. No. Um, and, and definitely, um, we're definitely going to have you back. I mean, I definitely got to, got to say that um, you are someone because there's just so much that you're sharing that there's too much to be on one episode basically. So um, definitely do want to have you back. And definitely I hope to, to have you back. Some, I hope to share some, I know I keep talking like yeah. <laughs> I'm teasing you, like but there's something huge happening under the surface. And I yeah. actually think it, it you know, so most people would think, oh, this is just going to impact my life. And it will. Um, but this, this actually what's going on is going to impact a lot, a lot, a lot of lives when it comes to mental health, rape, domestic violence. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would hope, I'm hoping in six to nine months, something's mm -hmm. going to break here and I'm going to be able to share what exactly has been going on. So close, closer to the fall and in, into the new year, possibly? I'm hoping, yes. Um, okay. And gosh, part of me wants to just tell you <laughs> a little quiet. Um, yeah, so I have to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> no no worries. No worries. It's all good. Um, so as we wind down, I do want to mention um, a few more resources. Um, I know that there is Mental Health America, mhanational.org. There's also NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, nami.org. Uh, there's also madinamerica.com. And you had mentioned also another group also that you mentioned. What was the, the, the group, um, the, the Arizona Coalition? On... Oh, yeah, because uh, the Arizona Coalition 
to end sexual and domestic violence. Okay, that's right. And it's just ACES DV, ACES DV. So if anybody's been through domestic violence or rape, that's an incredible organization here in um, the Grand Canyon state for people to go to. And, um, and a lot of people that, that go through those kind of traumas, struggle, struggle, struggle with mental illness after that PTSD. And um, so, yeah, so all my brothers and sisters, if you've been through a trauma like that with sexual and domestic violence, turn to ACEs DV. Um, I know firsthand, just a lot of amazing people, a lot of amazing work. And I, I, I also want to keep reiterating these big organizations out there, it sounds like we've been bashing them a little bit. <laughs> I think you and I both agree there are, they do a lot of good work. It's just, again, we need people like us out there to, to keep pushing them past that conservative part of where they are. <laughs> and I'm just repeating that because sometimes people will run away and they'll take a soundbite and say, well, I listened to Brian and Blake and they were bashing all these are No, we're not bashing them. We're, you know, we have to be able to talk about the things that aren't necessarily always working the best. And exactly, and to put it in the, exactly, and to put it in the right context, because it's undoubtedly going to be a lot of shades of gray. It's not going to be people who think, "Oh, this group is so wonderful, the greatest thing since sliced bread," and you're not going to have the people who are, "Oh, this group's horrible." You're likely going to have all the gray areas where, "Oh, well, these programs are." Can I list family? There's different family programs they ought to hear nothing but good things about, for example. So you're right. It is going to be a much more nuanced uh, approach than what people might want to, um, and, and, you know. And, and I'll, I'll mention a movie reference here. Hopefully you and I, Brian, will still be alive after this. It, I'm, I'm saying that in jest. But <laughs> the movie Hunger Games, when people would yeah, hear yeah. President Snow, um, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be alive. I think uh, yeah. one of them was that famous singer. I can't think of what his name was. Um, anyway. He ended up dead because he he went against um, uh, President Snow. No, nothing that extreme is going to happen. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you you have to you have to go against some of these these big organizations, and you got to tell them when they're wrong. And so I feel like that's you know we're pointing out some of the things that we feel are wrong, yeah. and we feel need to be moving in a better direction. And all your listeners, I'm hoping as they hear us, if they have something that they want to add, maybe they they there's something that they want to be able to say, hey, I have some constructive criticism for, for the status quo, then please do, you know, message Brian, because that's how we're going to, again, keep making these changes. Uh, if the status quo isn't working, then do something about it. Don't exactly. be that person that just, Ben Franklin used to say, any fool can condemn, criticize, and complain. Yeah, yeah. Most usually do. So don't be that person that's not there. Contact Brian. Tell yeah, right. Done. And uh, let's get some input from all y'all. Yeah, ab absolutely. Well, well, uh, Ron, thanks so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. And uh, thank you, those of you at home or at work or on your way home from work or wherever you may be. Um, stay safe, everyone. And uh, talk with you next time. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>